your friend may be struggling, remember, you don't have to be there to be there. You can say how while you will get a fake tattoo. You can ask with an app if it works for you. You could chat on the game, kick off your flip flops. You can ask on your couch while you binge watch. Whatever, whatever, whatever gets you talking. Reach out to a friend about their mental health. Learn how you can help at seizetheopera.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and the Jed Foundation. to the Three Rivers Talk Show here on the Bethany Online Radio. Once again, your host, Drew Von Sayo, set to bring you the latest with your Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh Penguins, and Pittsburgh Pirates. Starting today with some diamond action in the form of the Pirates. Looking at their recent decision to go to bullpen games, Derek Shelton, of course, using that method lately in place of a traditional starter. We've seen Connor Overton make several appearances as an opener, if you would call it that, followed by a handful of relievers after Overton usually lasts between three and three and two-thirds innings. Now, I understand why Derek Shelton is trying to get creative and really work towards how things are going to work in the future but at the same time it's one of those situations where you know you've got to do what you can to not lose 100 games and you can't absolutely cannot throw them away by having bullpen games I understand you want to get Connor Overton some appearances but use him as a traditional reliever in a traditional reliever setting you have pitchers down in AAA that you can call up. Miguel Yahoo, of course, the biggest name that comes to mind. There's no reason why he shouldn't be making starts at this point in the season. Again, absolutely nothing to play for. You saw him earlier in the year. He's had all season down in AAA to make those improvements. And then now you're not going to use him? Why? There's no point in this, and it doesn't make sense whatsoever because you have a talented prospect that is a starting pitcher, but instead you're using him, you're not even using him, you're going to bullpen games. And I mean, we've seen enough of Cody Ponce to know that he is not good at all. We've seen enough of Anthony Banda to know he isn't good. And then the fact that today the Pirates are turning to Sam Howard to start a game, another bullpen game, really? We're going to -to back-to-back bullpen games for what reason? There's none whatsoever. You have to find a way to find starting pitchers either down in AAA or someone on waivers at this point, if there is anyone, and find a way to get them to start. At this point, I would be fine with seeing Shelby Miller start a game, move him into the rotation, because Shelby Miller, at least, has experience starting games, even this season. Rather, 2019, He's appeared in nine games in 2021. None have been his start. But in 2019, he made eight starts. 
So he has recent experience with being a starting pitcher. Sam Howard hasn't started. Connor Overton, he's kind of a fringe between rotation, bullpen type of thing. But for the most part, he hasn't started. So if you're not going to bring up Miguel Yahure, or you're not going to have someone that's a traditional starter start games for you, then take someone like Shelby Miller, who has had experience going through the order multiple times, and send him out there. I just don't understand what Derek Sheldon is trying to do at this point. He's making absolutely no sense with his decision-making. Okay, I would understand a bullpen game here and there because of a situation with the rotation, players being hurt, whatnot. But the fact that it has become a consistent part of the Pirates' game plan the past few weeks is absolutely insane. And then the fact that they're going to do a bullpen game two nights in a row is even more ridiculous because at this point it almost just seems like you're just having fun like it's Little League and I know I've mentioned before about Derek Sheldon almost treating the team like it's Little League with rotating players in and out of the lineup so much but now I'm not wondering if this isn't the same situation because he's just doing anything random to see if it sticks. And it's clearly not working. The Pirates lost last night to the Phillies 12-6 to in what was a bullpen game. Connor Overton giving up four runs through two and two-thirds. And then at that point, it got turned over to the bullpen. And they're doing this every five to six days. I just, I don't understand it at all. Of course, they used a bullpen game in the series finale against the Reds last time they were home, not the series that will conclude next Monday when both teams had an off day. They used the bullpen. It was last Thursday against the Reds. They lost one nothing. Okay, so it may have worked out for them that time. But it's not going to work every single time, and the Pirates have to do something different. There's no reason, and it's inexcusable, why Miguel Yahoo hasn't started yet in September. There's just none. And then, speaking of prospects for the Pirates... Of course, I mentioned on Monday a handful of them getting promoted to AAA Indianapolis, the biggest name being O'Neill Cruz in the Pirates' top five prospects right now in the organization. Goes into his debut as an Indianapolis Indian, hits a home run opposite field and about 10 rows back. Now, it's difficult enough to hit a home run to the opposite field. Especially for a left-handed hitter, because left-handed hitters typically tend to pull the ball. But the fact that it went 10 rows back, and if you go on Twitter, you'll be able to find the video. His swing, it looked like he did like a check swing and swung at about 50% of what his maximum capability is. And I know I've mentioned before about O'Neill Cruz and his swing looking effortless. But that continues to be the case. But he continues to find a way to put home run after home run up on the board. And it's just a tribute to the raw power that this guy has. Whether he's playing shortstop, whether he's in the outfield, or whether he's the DH. This is someone that is going to make an impact for the Pirates. And to have him in the same lineup possibly as Yoshi Tsutsugo, it's going to be an incredible feeling for the Pirates 
there's no reason why the Pirates shouldn't attempt to bring Yoshi Sutsugo back. And I've talked about that before as well. Time will tell if they truly do or not. But the thought of O'Neill Cruz crushing baseball after baseball over the Clemente wall at PNC Park is just something that every Pirates fan needs to be excited about. Regardless of your thoughts on the ownership, regardless of your thoughts on how Ben Charrington has handled the rebuild thus far, you have to be excited about the thought of O'Neill Cruz, especially when you look back and realize that the Pirates acquired him from the Dodgers for two months that the Dodgers got of Tony Watson. That was one trade that Neil Huntington actually did well in. Because at this point, O'Neill Cruz just continues to get stronger and stronger, build his power, and he is going to be a legitimate player. Whether it's in the outfield, at shortstop, or as the designated hitter. Now, of course, we don't necessarily know what's going to happen with baseball next year. Whether or not there's a universal designated hitter. Whether or not there's a lockout. And if there is, how much of a season are we truly going to get? Because the players and the owners have never been farther apart in terms of what each want for the future of the game. So the thought of a lockout may seem almost like a conspiracy theory, but the fact is, is that it's not all that uncommon of a possibility. In fact, I would say that I would be surprised if there wasn't a lockout. If Major League Baseball plays all 162 games next season, starting the schedule on time and a full spring training, then I would consider myself to be the most shocked person on the planet when that happens. Because, like I said, the owners, the players, they've never been farther apart in terms of what each want. And you mean to tell me that they're going to sort it all out, get it together before February of 2022? Yeah, I highly doubt it. Especially when you look at how much bickering and back and forth there was over trying to restart the 2020 season for 60 games. I mean, if you really think about it, there was so much debate as to, you know, how much the players were going to get paid for their salary, what the rules were going to be for that 2020 season, how many games they were even going to play, whether or not there were going to be expanded playoffs. There were so many proposals sent back and forth between the union and the owners that both sides grew frustrated with the other and even made that divide bigger. But getting back to O'Neill Cruz, regardless of what happens with baseball next year, however much is played, I would imagine he starts the season at AAA Indianapolis. But I honestly think that he will find himself getting called up to the Pirates next season at some point. He is just too productive at the plate to not call him up. And if he can just cut down the amount of strikeouts that he records, 5%, then he is going to be an even better player than what he once was. Or not once was, but is currently. Because the power combined with striking out less is a very deadly combination of an elite hitter. And for O'Neill Cruz to show that as a rookie, the NL Central, not even just the NL Central, the National League as a whole, better be ready for O'Neill Cruz as soon as next season, at some point. Whether it's July, whether it's August, maybe even a September call-up. But regardless, the National League needs to be on the lookout for O'Neill Cruz. And if you leave a fastball right down the middle, you're never going to see that baseball again because it's going to go 50 feet beyond 
PNC Park, and it's going to sink to the bottom of the Allegheny River. I would honestly not be surprised if O'Neill Cruz breaks the record for furthest ball hit into the Allegheny River on the fly. There have been approximately four to five baseballs hit into the Allegheny River on the fly. Josh Bell, the most recent of them. But if there is a measurement as to how far it was hit into the river, O'Neill Cruz is going to break it easily. It's just a matter of when, when it happens, and how far he hits it. Because the power that that kid has at 6'7", is a generational talent. I know we've said that before about Key Brian Hayes with his gold glove caliber defense. But when you look at O'Neill Cruz, I see O'Neill Cruz being someone that will contend with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and even Shohei Otani for most home runs in Major League Baseball once he settles in. And I know that may seem like a like I'm going too far, like calm it down a bit. But the potential for this young phenom prospect is endless. And it's ultimately what he does with himself in terms of defense as to where he plays when he gets to the Pittsburgh Pirates. But regardless of where he's at, the organization will find a way to slot him into the lineup. You're listening to the Three Rivers Talk Show here on the Bethany Online Radio. We come back, football talk with the Pittsburgh Steelers looking at Big Ben's injury and the latest news with that, along with solving the offensive issues this week against the Cincinnati Bengals and containing the ever-dangerous wide receiver trio in Cincinnati.
Online Radio can be heard anywhere you go by downloading the free Radio FX app, available via the App Store and on Google Play. Bethany College Radio streams Bethany news and events announcements, along with select sporting events and music and talk shows. Produced by Bethany College students. to the Three Rivers talk show for the latest now with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mentioned before the break, the latest with Ben Roethlisberger's pectoral injury, whether or not he will be good to go for Sunday. Of course, reported earlier in the week that he was dealing with this pectoral injury, was held out of practice. Earlier in the week, we saw Mason Rudolph getting reps with the first team as he was preparing in the event that Big Ben could not go Sunday against the Bengals. However, Roethlisberger, a full participant in today's practice, so things are looking good for him in terms of his ability to play against Cincinnati. Now, we all know Roethlisberger's toughness, second to none. If Ben is missing a game or multiple games, then the injury is very serious. 
and something like this, you just, you had that feeling that he was at some point going to start practicing. He may be in some discomfort, may be in some pain on Sunday, but you just had that feeling that he was going to pull through and play. And lo and behold, that's exactly what appears to be the case. Now, whether or not the pectoral injury is 100% healed for Sunday, only time will tell. That'll be a storyline for the broadcast Sunday afternoon. But Ben Roethlisberger appearing to be ready to go against the Bengals, which is exactly what the Steelers need. Now, I say that not because I don't think Mason Rudolph can't beat the Bengals, because I'm confident in him to do so. Unlike many Steelers fans, I'm confident in Mason Rudolph to go out there and beat the Bengals. But what it's good for the Steelers with is allowing them to really work out the kinks in their offense. Of course, we all know it's a very young offensive line. We all know the run game has yet to get going. And in reality, Roethlisberger's play the first two weeks has been average at best. It got better from week one to week two. He definitely played better against the Las Vegas Raiders than he did against the Buffalo Bills. But it's still not what we're used to seeing from Ben. Now, what we got against the Raiders is that the ceiling now for Ben Roethlisberger at this point in his career, is that the most we're going to get? Or is there more to it? And are we just not seeing Ben at 100% really in the groove of things yet? I mean, last season, right out of the gate, Roethlisberger came guns blazing, looking like he did five, six years ago. And now, early in the season, we're not seeing that. Maybe it's a workload management thing, trying to avoid that late season collapse again. But at the same time, you also cannot be focused on, you know, conserving for later in the season when you've got to win the games right now. And unfortunately, I don't believe that is an answer we will ever get as to whether or not they're trying to avoid that late-season collapse and by doing so, manage the workload of Ben Roethlisberger because he's still throwing the same amount of times or in the generic area, but the throws are still the very quick two, three-yard passes. He rarely throws the ball downfield now. And when you have guys like Deontay Johnson, guys like Chase Claypool, even James Washington and Juju Smith-Schuster, those are receivers that you have to be able to throw the ball downfield for from time to time. And it's not happening. So is it workload management to save his arm? But in that case, it wouldn't explain why he hasn't been accurate lately. So I think it's a very complex situation in that regard. Now, offensive line run game, that is very straightforward in terms of, you know, lack of experience, guys who are very new to the Steelers organization or even the NFL as a whole. You have Kendrick Green, who's a rookie. You got Dan Moore Jr., who's a rookie. Trey Turner in his first season with the Steelers. Najee Harris, the rookie running back. Of course, there's going to be things that need to be sorted out. But the line has to really work now to get things going. I mean, Najee Harris has less than 100 yards rushing through two games. That's not what the Steelers had in mind when they drafted him, when they rebuilt the offensive line. And you could make the argument, well, did they rebuild it too much? And at this point, they're starting from scratch. That could be a possibility, which is why they're so poor in terms of on-field play. And then having a rookie running back certainly not helping matters. 
but it's also a situation where you have to look at every possibility as to why the Steelers haven't got it going in the run game. Whether it's an equal responsibility between Najee Harris, the offensive line, whether it's the offensive line letting Najee Harris down, or is it Najee Harris who's not able to be productive and have the success that he did at Alabama? We don't know. At this point, as time goes on throughout the season, of course, we'll have a better idea of what that situation entails and who needed to really get going for the run game to turn around. But it's got to be done sooner rather than later. You can't go another season dead last in the league in rushing, making Ben Roethlisberger, who's 39 years old, you can't make him throw the ball 40, 45 times a game anymore. That's why he collapsed last season in terms of his play on the field because he had thrown the ball so much that he just didn't have it anymore. He was exhausted. And, I mean, we're already on that same type of pace. And that's not even with throwing the ball deep downfield. I understand last season he was just a year off of having his shoulder surgery, or rather elbow surgery, so that may have had a factor in it, and now he's one year away from it more, so he may be able to have that stamina in his arm that he didn't have last season, but you can't guarantee that. So you've got to have some balance offensively. This game against the Bengals is a prime opportunity to do that. You know the Bengals are you know, working on laying the foundation for their successful team. And you know that they have a lot of issues themselves right now. But that's even more of a reason to go out there and get these guys some confidence, whether it is Najee Harris or Kendrick Green, Dan Moore Jr., the young offensive line that's struggling. Because they've basically gotten beat up the past two games against the Bills, against the Raiders. And it can be demoralizing for a young athlete who's playing at a level for the first time in their lives. And it doesn't look like there's any hope for them to turn it around. So this game against the Bengals is an opportunity to do that. I'm not saying the Steelers have to go out and rush for 200 yards and Najee Harris has three scores. If he does, I'm not going to complain. I mean, there's no way that anybody would complain about that. But at the same time, it's also an unrealistic expectation. At this point, what I would like to see against the Bengals, Najee Harris rush for between 100 to 150 yards with a touchdown or two. If he can accomplish that, the offensive line and his own reading of the plays, then that would be a successful game for me. And it would allow them to have some confidence. Now, in the past game, the offensive line, they also have to give Roethlisberger time to throw. They can't continue to lose their blocks after two, two and a half seconds because that's not going to allow the receivers time to go deep down the field. And by deep, I mean 20, 25 yards. That's not going to allow Ben any time to look at his secondary, tertiary reads. At that point, it would basically just be, you know, you have the primary read in mind. If it's not open, then you just got to either eat it up and take a sack or you hope for the best and throw the ball downfield. Neither, of course, a good recipe for success. So, equal pressure on the offensive line and the run game. But the offensive line, of course, having two components to their pressure, the run game and the pass game. Now, defensively for the Steelers, they're going up against a team in the Cincinnati Bengals that has more talented receivers than they've seen all season. You have Tyler Boyd, 
the local product from Clarendon, who is a University of Pittsburgh graduate, T. Higgins out of Clemson, and Jamar Chase from LSU, a teammate of Joe Burrow when they won the national championship. That trio of wide receivers is much more talented than what they saw in terms of a receiving core against the Raiders or the Bills. Yes, the Bills have Stephon Diggs. Yes, the Raiders have Darren Waller, who were the big go-to targets for their respective quarterbacks in Josh Allen and Derek Carr. But now in this Bengals offense, it's not just one option and focusing on shutting him down. It's basically 1A, 1B, and 1C. Or a 1A, 1B, and 2 type of situation. So now the Steelers' secondary has to be even more on their game. They've got to find a way to shut down three playmakers. That's something that you rarely see in an offense. And it's a credit to Cincinnati for the way that they've drafted over the past two years. They get a quarterback in Joe Burrow, who certainly has the talent to be their next franchise quarterback. You go out, you have a young Tyler Boyd, who is getting towards the end of his rookie contract. And then you go out and grab two rookies to complement Boyd in Higgins and Chase, and then, of course, Chase being a teammate of Joe Burrow at LSU, so that connection and that chemistry is already there. So the Steelers, there's one of two ways, or there's two ways to go about stopping this trio, and the Steelers ultimately have to pick one of them or a combination of both. And that is either you go man-to-man on Boyd, Higgins, and Chase, possibly even rotating between double coverage amongst the three. Or you send blitz after blitz to Joe Burrow and you don't even give him time to consider which option he should go to. Because if you don't go to one of those two defensive schemes, then it's going to be a long day of Burrow heaving the ball down the field 25, 30 yards to either T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, or Jamar Chase. All three are very talented. All three are very capable of making the Steelers' defense pay. And at this point, it's up to Keith Butler and every single member of the Steelers' secondary, ranging from Joe Hayden to James Pierre to Minka Fitzpatrick to Trey Norwood, Whoever steps on the field in the Steelers' secondary, along with defensive coordinator Keith Butler and even Mike Tomlin, I'll throw him in there too. It's on them as to how they attack this Bengals' offense and what they do to shut down those three. Yes, Joe Mixon is a decent running back, so there's that threat as well. But it's a question of which is the bigger threat. I would much rather shut down that trio of Boyd, Higgins, and Chase and force the Bengals to run the football with Joe Mixon then shut that down and give up 300 yards passing in the game to Joe Burrow. Again, that's my personal choice. I don't, I don't know how the Steelers are going to about, go about their game plan for Sunday, Of course, 48 hours away from that, so we'll find out very soon. And hopefully an opportunity, what should be an opportunity for the Steelers to improve to 2-1. and If they don't, then be prepared for a very heated Steelers segment Monday afternoon. You're listening to the Three Rivers Talk Show here on the Bethany Online Radio. When we come back... Final segment for today, looking at the Pittsburgh Penguins as Ron Hextall gave an update on Evgeny Malkin, another goaltender to watch out for in training camp, and why the power play is even more significant without Crosby and Malkin right here on the Bethany Online Radio.
welcome back to the Three Rivers Talk Show for the latest now with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Mentioned before the break, Ron Hextall, general manager for the Pittsburgh Penguins, giving an update on Evgeny Malkin and his status as he recovers from his off-season surgery. Ron Hextall stating that Evgeny Malkin will miss at least the first two months of the NHL season, which is a bit of a blow to the Penguins offensively. We knew, of course, that Malkin was going to miss a significant amount of time. We didn't know exactly how much, but for Hextall to say at least two months is in the ballpark of higher than what anyone expected, at least what I expected in terms of significant. Now, the good news is with giving Malkin ample time to recover, you make sure that he is truly 100%. Because at 35 years old, if he rushes himself back, then he's putting his body in danger of either re-aggravating the injury, making it just as bad as what it was, or making it worse, which would even further hinder his opportunity to continue playing with the organization. Now, as a result of that, the Penguins have already looked into possibilities to take over the third and fourth line center. With Crosby out as well, Jeff Carter will man the first line, Teddy Bluger on the second. There have been four options listed. This is according to DK Pittsburgh Sports as to who the main four candidates are right now. Brian Boyle, Radin Sahorna, Evan Rodriguez, and Michael Chaput. Now, Chaput Boyle brought in on professional tryout contracts to see if they would make it make their way into camp. They have done so. Now, of course, ultimately, got to find a way to make it onto the team. Redeem Sahorna getting experience as a center this past season in Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Of course, we all know Evan Rodriguez, very versatile as a forward, can play any of the three positions. So he's now thrown into the mix. Personally, of these four names, I would like to see Redeem Zahorna and Michael Chaput because Zahorna got an opportunity over the past season, season and a half, and while he didn't necessarily light it up on the score sheet, he brought an energy similar to what Drew O'Connor did. He was very aggressive defensively, a tall, physical presence on the ice, and he's not afraid to be physical. The same with Michael Chaput. He's a very physical center that can also find a way to score. And so for the Penguins to now have two of those players that they're considering for their third and fourth line center, to me it seems like a no-brainer as to who it should be. And that's nothing against Brian Boyle because Brian Boyle is just as physical. But Zahorna should put younger and can still bring speed to their game. Of course, with Boyle getting up there in age, he may have some speed in the beginning of games, but towards the end of the game, that speed will significantly drop. So it's going to be interesting to see how Mike Sullivan and the Penguins organization go about evaluating these four centers as to who ultimately gets the final cut or makes the final cut and claims those two positions. And then for those that don't, are they on the team as a winger? Are they someone that may see themselves being a healthy scratch? Or are they just cut from the organization as a whole? Of course, someone like Radin Sahorna could see himself back in Wilkes-Barre Scranton 
for another year. But the other three would be a matter of whether or not they are in the NHL or outright released from the organization. Now, I mentioned another goaltender to be on the lookout for this preseason. I've talked about Louis Domingue. I've talked about Tristan Jari needing to bounce back. But the name now is Philip Lindbergh. Of course, Lindbergh out of University of Massachusetts signed in July as a free agent, was undrafted in the 2021 NHL draft. But he is someone that is a strong goaltender. He ended his season at the University of Massachusetts with an NCAA championship. But the Penguins ultimately getting a steal here because he was drafted in 2019 by the Minnesota Wild, but ultimately Lindbergh turning back to the University of Massachusetts to continue to develop as a goaltender. His last season at Massachusetts, a record of 10-1-4, 949 save percentage, 124 goals against average, and led the University of Massachusetts with four shutouts in the NCAA tournament. That is an incredible stat line. Not only does it show that he is a strong goaltender with the 949 save percentage, 124 goals against average, but the fact that he managed four straight shutouts, or just four shutouts in total, rather, in the NCAA tournament, an atmosphere where it's win or go home, demonstrates to me that he is calm, he's composed, and determined to go out there and do whatever it takes to win. Now, that's not to say that no other goaltender in the organization isn't, but Philip Lindbergh, certainly a strong presence in the crease and has a very calm and composed demeanor on the ice, even in the most intense situations where it is win or go home. Now, at this point, it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle for him to make the team. Of course, he would have to bump Louis Domingue out of the third goaltender position. If he wanted to see consistent game time, he would have to surpass Casey DeSmith. But regardless of where Philip Lindbergh ultimately plays at this season, whether it's locally here in Wheeling whether it's with Wilkes-Barre Scranton or as Tristan Jolly's backup, that being the most unrealistic at this point as a 23-year-old. But Philip Lindbergh is a goaltending prospect that the Penguins are extremely high on. Every fan needing to be as well because it's not very often you see someone as composed as Lindbergh. Very few goaltenders that play in the NCAA Division I can say that they had four shutouts in the NCAA tournament. That is the best of the best as you try to find the national champion. And for Lindbergh to go out there, put up those four shutouts is absolutely incredible. It, in a way, baffles me that he went undrafted. But at the same time, certainly a gift falling into the lap of the Penguins to be able to get him undrafted and into their organization, now working with goaltender coach Andy Kyoto this training camp. He's going to get ample time in the crease throughout the Penguins' six preseason games, and I'm very excited to watch and see how he performs. Because even though he is just 23 years old, 
I would not be surprised if he is more than capable of surpassing Louis Domingue. Because Domingue, yes, he has had good flashes, but he's also had some moments where he struggled. So that inconsistency being there is ultimately leading to some hesitation. So the goaltending battle continuing to heat up as we get closer and closer to the first preseason game. And then finally, of course, the power play is already important for the Penguins. You have a main advantage for two minutes. You've got to find a way to score as often as you can. But now when you don't have Sidney Crosby, you don't have Evgeny Malkin, two of your biggest goal scorers, the power play becomes even more important. And I know you may be thinking, well, how does the power play get more important without Crosby and Malkin? Because if you look at the Penguins' four forward lines, without Crosby, without Malkin, the talent level drops significantly, as expected, because Crosby Malkin, two of the best forwards, two of the best centers in the league. And so their talent not being there at 5-on-5 is going to limit the amount of goals the Penguins score. So when they get the main advantage for two minutes, maybe four, possibly even five, most common, of course, being two, they have to find a way to put the puck in the back of the net in those moments. There are talented players on the Penguins still that can man the power play. Jeff Carter, Jake Gensel, Brian Rust, all of your top wingers are still there. So you have to capitalize on those opportunities to be successful in hockey games when you don't have your two-star players. Because if you don't, you're limiting the amount of opportunities you have to score even more than if you fully take advantage of the power play. Now, of course, I'm not saying you have to go out there and score two out of every three power plays because that isn't realistic. It's not realistic to do three games in a row, much less over the course of an 82-game season. But the Penguins' power play in the past has struggled and struggled. I've harped on it numerous times since I started this show two years ago, which doesn't seem possible. But the Penguins' power play without Crosby, without Malkin, needing to even be more clinical in the attacking zone. you got to find a way to get pucks to the net. you got to find a way to get them on target. And you've got to find a way to light up the red light. Because if you don't, like I said, it's going to decrease the odds of winning hockey games even more without Crosby, without Malkin. Teams are already aware and have been aware that the Penguins are going to be at a disadvantage without those two stars. Now it's up to the Penguins as to how they respond, how they go about finding a way to win hockey games. We saw last season in the Eastern Division with the reorganized divisions that the Penguins were able to battle back and find a way to keep fighting with all of the injuries that the organization had. But now can you do that without your two best guys? We know Malkin missed some time last year, so the team's certainly capable of doing so in his absence, but can you do it in his absence and the absence of Sidney Crosby, your captain? Because at this point, the Penguins' power play will need to sit between 21 and 23% in terms of their efficiency. Scoring one to two power plays every game. Now, that being dependent upon how many power play opportunities they get. If they get one power play opportunity every game and they take advantage of it, then that's a success. 
if they get five power play opportunities every game, then they need to be looking at scoring two, maybe even three per game. And then anywhere in between, of course, being somewhere one to two power play goals per game. You just you can't have the games where you get five power play opportunities half of a period with a main advantage and not find a way to put the puck in the back of the net. You just you just can't. And the Penguins, especially at this point, early in the season, they've got to find a way to do that. Whether it's with four forwards and one defenseman, which would be a bit more aggressive in terms of the potential to give up more shorthanded goals, or going to the traditional three forwards, two defensemen, and getting your hard, heavy defensive shooters out on the ice. Chris Letang, Brian Dumoulin, even Marcus Pedersen, who is certainly capable of scoring goals. You would have to find a way to get them on the ice on every single power play opportunity, regardless of whether or not they just came off of the ice. And even for the four forwards, one defenseman strategy, you would still have to incorporate them in that. You can't look at the power play and say, oh, well, we have four forwards. We can go ahead and send out a Chad Ruedel onto the power play or someone along those lines. You have to be strong on the power play, send your best players out there, and treat it as if it's a situation where you need a goal to win the game in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. Of course, it's going to be hard to replicate that intensity, that adrenaline, but that's the way those situations need to be treated. You're listening to the Three Rivers Talk Show here on the Bethany Online Radio. Thank you all for tuning in on this gorgeous Friday afternoon here in Bethany, West Virginia, after a bit of a cold day yesterday. Be sure to tune in on Monday at 3 o'clock for the latest with your Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh Penguins, and Pittsburgh Pirates. Have a great rest of your day and enjoy the weekend.